Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, discuss film from the unpretentious perspective. Today, we are back around the campfire to conclude summer camp month and to consider Wes Anderson's adorable, colorful, and heartwarming Moonrise Kingdom. So roast a marshmallow, craft a s'more, and don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and as always, please be advised, spoilers are ahead. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. I hope you have some bug spray because we're still at our, well, whatever camp we are. We can't, we're at Camp Whiskey and Sweet Tea. How about that? <laughs> Haven't been murdered yet. Hope you, you guys enjoyed yet. the last episode. I'd, and hopefully you're still alive if you're at summer camp. You know, you know, I, so, I, I was thinking about, I actually never went to summer camp as a kid. Like, I, I don't know. Is that something that you did whiskey? Is this like a thing that I just missed out on? Like a childhood rite of passage? Yes, it is actually. I mean, I went more <laughs> than most people. Well, maybe not more than most people, but I was actually an Eagle Scout. So I went all the time. <gasps> You're uh, an Eagle Scout? Phil. Yes. I think we've talked about this outside of the show. My parents will, have, will respect you so much more than me now. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we've brought this up. Didn't you say your one of your brothers was an Eagle Scout yeah, my, too? My older brother, yeah, is an Eagle is an Eagle Scout. Y'all, y'all yeah, are so, y'all are dying breed. So, well, I mean, outside of that, I went to other camps. Like pretty much, I think from the time I was like nine years old up until I was like eighteen, I think I pretty much was always somewhere. Like even if it wasn't Boy Scout camp, I went somewhere like to a different camp mm-hmm. when like. I was never home for summer. I was I was always out doing stuff. So what you're telling me is I had a boring childhood. Got it. Absolutely. <laughs> so today we're here to discuss the very fun, very uplifting, very beautiful um, Moonrise Kingdom by Wes Anderson. And in true whiskey and sweet tea fashion, we're over here sipping on something. I'm over here trying... I'm over here trying my new, the, the Coke Zero, but the new Coke Zero, because they changed the flavor again. So, you know, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> and I am keeping it light. I'm just sipping on a Pacifico beer. You know, it's been very hot here in L.A., so I am just cooling off with a nice cold beverage. Has it has it hit 100 degrees there yet? Um, I, It might have a few days ago. It was in the high 90s for sure, but I don't know if it actually reached a hundred like it, it was nuts though it was really hard to uh you know what's wild stay sane it's wild here in texas we haven't hit 100 degrees yet which usually we've done at least seven or eight days already but we, i don't think we've done it yet anyway so today's topic moonrise kingdom 2012 release it's directed by wes anderson music by alexandra Displat, which you sh- if you don't know his name he did the score for the shape of water so obviously already in love um, costumes were by Keja Walika Maimon, and I want to apologize for maiming a bunch of these names. Two things, if I have trouble reading names, and also, I can't read my own handwriting half the time. Cinematography was by Robert D. Yao, written by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola. Production design was by Adam Stockhauser, and art direction was by Gerald Sullivan. We had in the starring roles of Sam, we had Jared uh, Gilma. Susie was played by Kara Hayward. Scoutmaster Ward was Edward Norton. Uh, we had Captain Sharp as Bruce Willis. Miss Bishop was played by Francis McDormand. Mr. Bishop was Bill Murray. Cousin Ben was Jason Schwartzman. Social Services was Tilda Swinton. And the narrator was Bob Balaban. 
Um, so this is a movie I picked, even though I had never seen this one before. I kind of knew the idea that it, it has something to do with sort of at a summer camp. It's actually scout camp. Um, so when Whiskey announced he wanted to do Friday the 13th for August, I was like, oh, let's do Moonrise Kingdom because I haven't seen it yet. I want to see it. And I think it also takes place at a summer camp. So first things first, first impressions, Whiskey, is this the first time you've seen this or is this a repeat for Absolutely. you? Absolutely Absolutely not. Uh, you didn't know this before picking it. I think I said so when you said you wanted to cover it, but this is actually my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Wow. It's well, I mean, I think this is only the second one I've seen and I was in love. I love this one. I feel like you'd like a lot of his stuff. This is like, I mean, he's one of those like quote unquote stylistic directors. Mm -hmm. So a lot of his movies kind of hit a lot of the same notes. Um, there's a lot of similarities with the way that he wants them to look. There's a lot of like kind of similar color schemes, a lot of pastels. He's mm -hmm. a big fan of like sixties cinema. So there's a lot of things like maybe you noticed this, but one thing that was it's more 70s cinema, but he, he likes zooming in a lot. Yeah, um, I did. Notice one that. other thing. One other thing you can immediately tell it's one of his movies is he's a big fan of symmetrical framing and linear perspective. So like in the very beginning of the movie, the thing that you can notice is all like you, you know the the opening scene right where it's it's the the music is like talking about how the the orchestra performs the song and it's yeah. selecting all of the different families and stuff well you know how it's showing the uh different rooms if you pay attention they're all when i say symmetrically framed what i mean is that the subjects are directly in the center of frame and there's depth created by uh kind of a, a how do you any, anyone who is listening who is a painter or you know a visual artist knows what linear perspective is but it's kind of like when there is almost a sort of 3d uh illusion created like another example in the art world would be like the the la uh the last supper yeah you know where the subjects you know jesus and fam are like in the center of frame and there's kind of you know, like a distance between you and them. And there's sort of a, a depth in the picture. That's what I'm talking about. And that opening sequence where it keeps panning to the different rooms and they're all dead center. And, you know, there's kind of a, a distance between the very end uh, back of the set and yeah. the people watching. So that's something he does in a lot of his movies. Another thing he's a really big fan of that I feel like you would be really into is he gets very creative with the production design. Yes. Um, yes. So one one thing he's done in multiple movies right off the top of my head, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums and the uh, Hotel Budapest is he'll have almost like a dollhouse sort of like cross section of the house yeah. where it's like showing all the different rooms and stuff like that and almost looks like kind of a storybook. Mm -hmm. So he has this very like whimsical style about him. And sometimes his movies are a little darker than others, but he always has this almost kind of like, again, I, storybook is the best way I can describe it, but almost kind of like there there's an animated quality to it. And it, it's very surreal. Uh, one of my other favorite films by him that uh, has kind of a creative twist to it is the, the life aquatic that film, uh, takes place in the ocean and it's about you know an oceanographer or someone who studies like ocean biography that or biology excuse me um and all of the fish in that movie are all stop motion animated wow that's impressive 
right? So he's he's. I feel like if you enjoyed this movie, you should watch all of his other films. Because also being from Texas, he is a UT Austin graduate, so he's rep in Texas. Um, and I feel like a lot of people wouldn't expect that from him because you think of Texas and UT Austin's a big artsy kind of university. There's lots of creative types that go to school there outside of film, but. You know, if you think of Wes Anderson, you'd probably assume he went to NYU or something like that, kind of with his style and also the sort of subjects he covers and where he likes to set his films. It has this very, like, almost like metropolitan sort of well, taste. What's, what's interesting them. is actually, I come from a long line of UT graduates. <laughs> there you go. So, so I'm surprised you didn't go there. Uh, oh, if one, you they, had. They didn't give me anything. If, well, if you had, uh, I guarantee probably a lot of the students would have been a big fan of his or the faculty would probably be like, ooh, Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, he's visiting, blah, blah, blah. But he's one of the, there's a couple of big directors from there. Another one would be, um, oh, shoot, of course I'm going to forget his name. Uh, he did Slacker and he did um, School of Rock. You know, Every, everyone in the, who's listening can yell at me about it, but uh, he's another really big uh, filmmaker from Texas. And uh, But I feel like Wes Anderson is the big one, and I've seen almost all of his movies. I think the only one I haven't seen is Bottle Rocket, but otherwise I've seen Rushmore, I've seen Royal Tenenbaums, I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, Darjeeling Limited. Like, I've, I've, I like him. I kind of didn't when I first... The first film I saw was Royal Tenenbaums, and I thought it was, like, weird and depressing. <laughs> um, and it took me a while to come around. The, the first movie I really, really enjoyed by him was Darjeeling Limited. Uh, but so far, out of the films I've seen, which, again, I think are all of them except Bottle Rocket, this one is my favorite. And I, I think part of it is uh, I love I love the way the Boy Scouts are portrayed in it. They're so hilariously organized to the point of it being ridiculous. <laughs> like, I wish my troop was that organized, right? like pressing their, their clothes and everything like that and building tree houses and whatnot. That I, I you know what's when I first saw that opening, uh, not the opening opening, but when we first introduced the Boy Scouts, you know what, it, it kind of gave me a Jojo Rabbit vibe. Oh, yeah, just a little bit. And when you were talking about his use of cross sections, like dollhouse, like you know, and I've talked a lot about how I, my love for the movie, uh, Paddington 2 and Paddington, they both u- utilize that, so I'm sure they were inspired by his use of that. But that's interesting to kind of know that, that that has kind of a historical precedence in his in his films. Well, we we didn't get a chance to cover it, but, it, you know, there was a, I feel like it was a series. I think it was like a film magazine I read this in, and they did a bunch of directors, but they interviewed a bunch of famous directors and asked them what their, like, top ten favorite movies of all time were. were. And Wes Anderson's list, um, if you like Google, you might be able to find the article, but it was so perfect like the sort of movies that he thinks are like the best it's exactly the sort of movies that really feel like what he's trying to you know show off in his films and one of them was one that we almost reviewed but we ended up uh being postponed this year it was uh uh harold and maude yes so that was on his list that's one of his favorite movies of all time and that's one where if you saw that you could definitely see how he is inspired by it because it has a lot of similar sort of stylistic elements to this film. Uh, well, you know, this movie was interesting for me. One, because it's not like when, it's because, you know, I, I, 
I don't I don't have this back catalog of other Wes Anderson films like you do to, to draw on to be like oh I can see this I've only like I said I've seen one other film of his The Grand Budapest Hotel and I think I remember I liked it but I had no need to watch it again but oh, where was I was going somewhere with this <laughs> I well while you're trying to remember I liked that one I felt like it was one where when it got all of the Oscar nominations and stuff, I was I was thinking, really, this is the one he's going to get? I mean, he's always usually nominated for something, but I feel like that was the one that got him the most critical acclaim. And I was just thinking, like, really? <laughs> this is... I get why. I feel... You mean like Leo well, I and feel, The Revenant? <laughs> well, no. So it was, it was the same year as the other director, whose name I forgot, actually, who did Boyhood. But, um... Richard Linklater? Thank you. Yeah, so Richard Linklater is the director I was thinking of before. He's also a big UT Austin graduate. Um, but anyway, so that that year, I I don't know. It's not bad. Anyone who's listening, I did not dislike the Grand Budapest Hotel. I just I I was kind of surprised that it got more acclaim than his other films. And I guess I I think it kind of checked a couple of the Academy's boxes. Like it was a World War II film indirectly because it took place during that time. Uh, there was like kind of a, a murder element to it. There was, I mean, it was very much one of his movies, but I feel like something about the setting and the characters and the time period probably made it a little more notable. One thing I didn't like about that one was I hated that there were like three framing devices. <laughs> it yeah. was, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but it's I like, oh, it's that. about a reporter who goes to a hotel, who talks to a bellboy, who recounts his time as a bellboy when it's like, can't you just start the movie like where it began? I And I feel like that's the only time it was ever that convoluted in one of his movies. Like this movie starts, you know, pretty much right as it should like, at the beginning <laughs> of, of the story with him running away and everything. But that movie, it just was like layers of nothing for like 10 minutes. And even like uh, other films of his, I like like Darjeeling Limited starts off with all of the characters rushing to catch. Well, I guess it's one character, but he's rushing to catch a train to meet his brothers. And then the story starts and then Royal Tenenbaums, it's done kind of like a storybook with a narrator talking about this family and how who who the family members are and what things were like when the kids were growing up and stuff like that. But it never had like layers of different people telling stories to other people, recounting the stories to the audience. Yeah. And long tangent, I didn't like that about that <laughs> movie. Um, but it was still good. But this one, it's it's not just the Boy Scouts. I really like the, the kind of love story too. It's really cute. And it's so funny how like almost like little adults the kids act yeah if that makes any sense no, 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 it's, no, yeah. it's the it's the way they speak it's the vocabulary they use and it's also like the way the um the main two characters the lovebirds sort of planned their escape was so sophisticated <laughs> that it's kind of funny to the point where they really do almost outsmart the adults if it wasn't for the narrator telling everyone that he knew which beach they were going to they probably would have gotten away with it for a while um well and you know that's like the one time the narrator interacts with the actual story yeah and it's um well not it's sort of i mean he is talking to the audience a number of times but i mean like it directly interacts with the characters yes exactly so 
which is also kind of interesting. Again, that's so, like it's such a Wes Anderson thing. Another like sort of quirky thing he did in the Life Aquatic is all of the music was David Bowie songs. Mm-hmm. But it was all, if I remember, I think all of it was always diegetic and it was being played by a character on the boat. <laughs> so that that's exactly what I mean when I say he he likes to have like really weird sort of um, quirky things in his movies like that. And in this one, it was not only having a narrator, but one who was sort of also a character in the film. And also one, like, that's the other thing. This takes place, I think they said 1964, 1965, 19, something like that. 1965. Yeah, and the narrator, like, exists in the time period, but he's also talking about it in past tense, like it's something that happened a long time ago. And it's so, it's such a weird, it makes you wonder, like, is he is he omnipotent or something? Like, what is... Well, I mean, uh, that that's kind of what I, he, he kind of, I kind of got the vibe from him, so you don't really get any backstory on the narrator, that he was kind of almost like a a summer spirit or something, you know, like kind of like my neighbor Totoro. He kind of just shows up when needed. So he knows what's going to happen. He knows everything that's going to happen. And <laughs> he just kind Maybe. of, I mean, the, the other interesting thing is he seemed to be a meteorologist. I mean, he's, he taught the scouts geology. So I guess he's just sort of a multi-talented scientific person, but um, he was more interested in the storm that was coming, which mm-hmm. was also kind of an odd sort of framing device and well not a framing but it was more of like a ticking clock element at the beginning of the story they tell you oh on this date three days from now there's going to be a massive storm that is going to wreck this island um and the funny thing is like whenever he's talking to the audience he's talking about the storm he's not talking about what's going on with the characters he's like oh it's uh, as you can see from this weather balloon, like the uh, the barometric pressure is is dropping. So at any moment, you know. So he opens the movie by basically saying, "This place is famous for the storm that happened on September fifth in three days or something." It basically, he opens it not even really talking about the story, but just about this event. Like you said, it's it's uh, everything happens around this event, like the. It, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It was kind of different. It wasn't, it provided, like you said, a ticking, a, a ticking clock, almost like sort of a futuristic history lesson. Uh, that, and that, that I guess is kind of the framing device for the story. You know, it kind of, it kind of reminds me of like at the, the, the way it was opened, it reminded me like at, like at the opening of literally every law and order, you know, they're set, they're represented by two equally important parties. These are their stories. That's basically kind of how it was. This island, this is its story. You know, I kind of thought that that was cool. Absolutely. Um, well, and that too, he, so at the beginning he talks the most and he's also talking about the different parts of the island, the different, like, you know, there's, there's like forest, there's beaches, there's Chick-Tosh territory. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the Chick-Tosh. Sort of he's he's an interesting though. character. Again, I'm not really sure. Like, I I let you do the research for this one because I've just seen this movie a ton of times. I like the story and everything, but I it's one of those where I haven't really looked into why he did a lot of the things he did. I guess you could just chalk it up to being Wes Anderson. <laughs> like, that's just so what actually because I would and, and now and I know some of the listeners are be like seriously. Well, I did research on this, but it's like it's such like an a film that basically almost everybody has seen that it was very difficult to find articles specifically focused on it. Like a lot of times I'd be searching for things and it was about Wes Anderson in general and they would talk about this movie briefly. So I had to, I had to kind of sort of resort to the trivia section 
on um, IMDb to really kind of dig up some, you know, kind of just different and more interesting facts about this. Well, this is kind of, in my opinion, so it's my favorite film of his, but I feel like it's one that's overlooked a lot because I don't ever really hear anyone talking about it. I don't think it was up for any awards when it came out. Uh, It was critically acclaimed, like critics liked it. I liked it. I think it uh, made a decent amount at the box office, but it's not really talked about as one of his best movies. So I think that might have something to do with it. One thing I did notice, because I've watched this a number of times, but this time, I guess because I was watching it for the show, I was extra, uh, <laughs> I was extra thorough. And I like watched all of the credits, partly because the credits were actually pretty interesting. Like, I don't know if you noticed, they were very animated and stuff, but uh, it appeared to be dedicated to his father. There was a like rest in peace thing and it was, something anderson it might have been his grandfather but he also at the very end of the credits said you know this is dedicated to so-and-so anderson uh who was a scoutmaster. so i don't know again i didn't really do any research but uh i would think that that was probably a member of his family and he was involved in scouts and so maybe that's what inspired him to write this story and the other thing i didn't really think about uh i you know the the, i don't know if you noticed this but the title refers to that little inlet that they make camp in yeah um, because and they never actually say what's revealed at the end well no they never actually say oh we called this moonrise kingdom or something it's like oh this doesn't have a name but they never full-on they just scream like this is our land or whatever but they never say what it's called at the end of the movie when um he does that painting, the paint on his painting, he's written on the shoreline Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, there you go. I'll check that out next time I watch it. So because uh, I will watch this again. But the other thing I didn't notice um until this time watching it is that that storm was so massive that that inlet was washed away after the storm, yeah. so it didn't exist anymore. <laughs> so that was also kind of a whimsical twist where it was like it was there for this specific important moment. For these two lovebirds and then as soon as their little adventure was over it was gone much like their their little you know attempt to run away together uh so that was that was pretty cute um and i somehow i missed that all the other times like i didn't notice that the inlet was maybe i did i don't know it's been a few years since i've seen it but i i noticed that this time more uh so, but speaking about specifically, just rewinding a little bit, talking about the accolades uh, or the movies, I guess that that it um, uh, it, it received. It did get a nomination at the Oscars for best original screenplay. Um, it was nominated, did not win. Um, it won. It was nominated for some editing awards um, at the Cinema Editors Award Show. Uh, it was nominated for Movie of the Year at the AFI. It won that. Um, the Austin Film Critics Association nominated it for Best Film. Uh, there's a lot of other ones on here. The BAFTA nominated it for Best Original Screenplay as well. Uh, the Cannes, it, it competed for the Palme d'Or. And I know I'm missing that. That's not how it's pronounced, but that's how I always say it. Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It didn't win that. However, it won an honorary award called the Palme de Whiskers for the Cat Tabitha. <laughs> and there's just a oh the cat there's a lot of other ones it was nominated by the writers guild for best screenplay the producers guild nominated for best picture there's a lot of also smaller critic awards that it was up for um it, it really it didn't win a lot um it won uh the the afi won it for movie of the year uh the boston society of film critics gave it an award for best use of music in a film 
Uh, it won Best Art Direction from the Chicago Film Critics Association, and it won Best Feature at the Gotham Awards. And the online film critics of uh, the online film critics society awarded it best original screenplay, um, but it was up for I believe a total of fifty two or fifty three awards, and I think it only won six. And none of them were really like any of the big ones. Like I said, it got some nominate. It got one nomination at the Oscars, one at the BAFTA, and but it really kind of it really kind of flew under the radar as far as a lot of things go especially like for a movie about this kind and you know they, they they've always said that if your movie's not essentially rated r it can't be it really won't be taken seriously anywhere and i think this is another case of that happening um i know there's been there's instances where that that hasn't been true but historically once we instituted a rating system if like it's if, if the movie wasn't r it's like people are like well you didn't take any risks that's kind of how it's perceived um but you know this is a, like i don't even think i was actually surprised this was a pg-13 when i watched it I, like to me this i was like why why is this a pg-13 and not a pg this like really should have just been a pg movie <laughs> i don't know what the pg-13 was for Eh, there there was some strong language uh not not to the point you know i mean pg-13 strong language these days if you want it to be pg you can't even say stuff like damn so obviously that was probably going to uh you know knock it down a few pegs this also dealt with some serious subjects you know you have the foster care system you've got depression you've got uh spousal infidelity You've got uh, Which I some pretty violent Boy Scouts. You've got, uh, and and not to mention, like I think it's very cute. I don't think it ever uh, crosses the threshold of being creepy or anything. But their little romance is also kind of borderline inappropriate. Usually played up for comedy. Like there's that whole bit about how he paints, he does watercolors of nudes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the and, stuff. and like and, and again, like it, it it never gets to that point where they go too far. But like when they're on the beach together and stuff, and he gets an erection. And, you know, that sort of thing. Well, uh, probably not PG material. Uh, you know, they never go that far. They don't have intercourse or anything like that. But mm-hmm. it is a little racy for a PG rating. I don't think, you know, maybe in the 80s, this would have gotten a PG rating. But today, I don't think. Or I guess ten, that's the crazy thing, too. This came out almost 10 years ago. Well, you know, speaking specifically just on, like, the infidelity that was in there, I was kind of like, why is this even in here? This has, like, this has little to no impact on in the story. Like, I know that the, the, they say that the daughter sees it happen, and so she knows about it, but, like, like I was, all, I'm like, this is really only in here, and I, and I read about this. He has a history of putting crumbling families in his movies because of his own upbringing, but, like, I... I to me, the family wasn't really necessarily crumbling. I think they tried to do that, make that, but it doesn't really work. Uh, because that, of his we, own upbringing, well, you, yeah, you, he, you get an armchair psychologist about. Well, no, this. Well, I didn't know. I, I don't know anything about his home life. Well, but he, he, I think he he didn't come from like a broken home, but you know he had uh his his family. I believe you know he they got a divorce. I believe at a young age. I was reading about this, um, and you know because of that, that's that that's why they. Uh, he kind of has a lot of these families that that are like from this is from what I read again and I'm re- this is what I'm reading in my research I haven't seen also the movies but I guess a kind of like a crumbling family or a family that's having a lot of issues is usually what is usually kind of it, it's it, it's it's present somewhere in his movie like that's like one of his like go-to like I guess themes 
I think that might be a little overblown. Just it's true. Uh, most of the families in his films are uh, dysfunctional, but not to the point. Again, I'd love to meet someone with a perfect family. Right. Uh, sometimes they don't really uh, uh, resonate with me so much. Uh, but I feel like he always makes them work and they always feel believable. And this one, I do think that it was sort of uh, important just because I think that the, her her parents' relationship was doing a lot to possibly influence her mood. Um, you know, she was obviously dealing with some psychological issues. Uh, you know, she had depression. She had an anger problem, which... I would say she probably got from her dad. Uh, but uh, there's also sort of this level of hypocrisy with her parents because, you know, they're they're telling her what is and isn't okay as far as, like, her little, you know, liaison with this little boy. But their marriage is, like, failing. <laughs> and, right. And the, uh, the mother is, you know, secretly seeing the police officer and and they don't really seem to even know enough about her daughter. Like that's the other thing. She runs she runs away twice in the movie, and both times her parents don't even notice they until have, she's long. They gone. have to be like alerted. I love that. <laughs> exactly, but again, so like I wouldn't say that it's pointless because I think it kind of explains why she would feel the way that she does. Because I think if you took this girl who has a pretty, you know, she's got she lives in a nice house. She's got a pretty traditional sort of you know, nuclear family set up, uh, you do kind of need to explain, like, why would she, uh, you know, come on to this kid who's in foster care and, you know, who's a very nice little boy, but, you know, if you, on paper, he kind of comes off as, like, the bad boy, you know what I mean? Despite right. the way he looks and the way he acts, like, he's sort of the the bad kid, you know, oh, he doesn't have parents and he misbehaves in the scouts and he gets into fights a lot and he doesn't have friends and stuff, so, you know, obviously that would be judging a book by its cover, but at least with the whole spousal infidelity, I think that's kind of the reason it works in the movie is because otherwise it would just be kind of weird... Well, I you know, mean, in real life, you don't necessarily need to have something bad happening for you to have like social problems or psychological <laughs> problems. But I feel like in when you're telling a story, like you do kind of need to justify it a little bit. So that's why I think it works. Um, some of his other movies, the focus is on the family, like the Royal Tenenbaums is the big one where the whole point is that it's about a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. uh, but you are right that it... Uh, it's an element that's in all of his films. I just wasn't aware that he had a broken home. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't mean he had a broken home, but his parents did divorce at a young age. And so that obviously had just based on his later work and what we've seen up here that obviously had some sort of, I don't, I, I'm not going to like speculate on the reasons or assume it was for bad reasons. I just know there was a divorce in his family at a young age and it seemed to have influenced his work. That, that's all I'm trying to get across. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze him. Uh, for sure i'm i'm just busting your balls T. it also again i wish i could remember the full list of his top 10 movies all i can remember off the top of my head is harold and maude but that was something that was also kind of a common theme in the movies that he enjoys um was that there was usually some sort of uh not even family dysfunction but there was a lot of like countercultural sort of things again we did not watch harold and maude but I do think you are at least aware of what the film is about. It's yes. about a young boy falling in love with an 80 year old woman, which is so, so yeah, very, very 1960s, 1970s sort of like hippie movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's sort of what, uh, again, if I could remember every movie on his list, um, 
that would be something that uh, comes up. Actually, I think I remembered another one was uh, Orson Welles' Magnificent Ambersons. Of course, I don't remember that one. That's the film he did after Citizen Kane that was critically hated. <laughs> but I believe Poor that was him. another one on his list. Um, well, you know, like, talking about all this, uh, Wes Anderson has said this is his one of his this is his most personal film. And he says Susie Bishop is also his most personal character he's created. Uh, he spoke specifically on the, the he a lot of this was, um, and I'm going to actually read a quote from him about one of the main themes of this. But like, uh, one of the big things in this movie that traumatized, I guess, Susie was finding that pamphlet of or that little booklet on dealing with your troubled child and knowing it yeah. was about her. And he described it, I guess in the promotion or at least the later stuff about this is, is as a kid, he found something similar among his dad's things. And he was like, well, uh, who else would it be about? Um, I don't know if he ever confirmed it was for him, but he took it to heart that that was for him. Uh, and so that kind of, so that experience sort of really sort of helped him create the character of Susie. And I think that's why the character of Susie is so personal to him because that experience um can, can can be can be very disturbing for a child to find you know it's not because the parents are doing a bad job it's but it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like the parents try to do what they can to make sure they that they have the best life but it's kind of like you can't tell the kid you're doing this because it makes them feel bad for sure well and that makes sense again i don't know anything about his personal life but if it was like his parents were going through a divorce that makes sense because i mean he he was like you know, well off enough to make it to film school. Mm -hmm. So in the nineties, I think so. Like I would imagine that his life probably looked a lot like Susie's. Um, and again, different movie, but the, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, it's kind of the same thing, like a upper middle class family with like a very, you know, dysfunctional kind of, uh, relationship with one another. Um, I don't know. That that actually makes sense. There's also a lot of characters in his film like Susie, so I wonder if he usually like writes a little bit of himself into each film. Well, I th uh, that would make a lot of sense. Susie actually reminds me of the character Margot from the Royal Tenenbaums, very similar. You know, she was a playwright, so that kind of made sense as if if that's a type of character he's really into. So, well, but that's interesting. Um, well, and I'm well, glad he thinks it's a personal film for him because again well, like, it's, I feel it's not like a personal this movie it's, he said it's his most personal film and Susie is the most personal character that's what he said good because it resonates with me again this is my favorite one of his movies and i don't think it is overlooked by like fans of his yeah. i'm sure plenty of people like this movie but i do think i do think it was passed up a little bit the year it came out i think it deserved a little more praise than it got again at least i'm pretty sure it made bank at the box office you know relative to how much it costs to make let's but, see um, it did it, it made let's see it made four times its budget um because <laughs> this was after um what was it called um uh the fantastic mr fox came out and it didn't do well so i think he said that he was having trouble securing people for like kind of more of a big budget thing so he scaled down his budget a lot like his budget for this is only 16 million dollars uh, i'm surprised the fantastic mr fox didn't do well i thought that i know it was up for best animated feature that year and i went to see it in theaters and thought it was pretty cute well i i i think well i think it was a movie that came out and it was like 
it was kind of like one of the things that it wasn't appreciated in its time. I think people are now rediscovering it. Like, I know that's one my mom wanted to take me to when I was younger, and we never got a chance to see it. I think she finally saw it on TV, but we never went to see it. I, I was you missed just... out, man. It was a good one. <laughs> well, there's that one, but then I later... I think he's had trouble with animated films at least because like I saw Isle of the Dogs in theaters. That one I don't think did well either. And just, I think from my own personal taste, I don't think it was a very good movie, uh, but that's just my personal. I opinion. liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, it was a movie that I felt it was like his was most depressing movie. And that says a lot. Like it was a very sad, uh, story and it got kind of, uh, I don't know. I, th- I liked the animation. I thought that was really good. I wanted, I was really excited to see it when I went to see it because the, the trailer was super stylized. I loved that the music was very inspired by Japanese music. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story, I, I like dogs and I liked that he got a f- like full blown, like a list celebrity cast to voice all of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. It's, uh, I, I didn't think I, the story was that great, but at least I remember it was, uh, that one was also, I remember watching it and being and thinking there were scenes missing because I was like, what? <laughs> like, like there was just, there, I remember, I think I remember correctly, like the B story in there. I mean, I guess all the stories are connected, but I remember there was a story with like, I think it was like a curly haired girl. And I think I remember thinking we haven't heard enough of why, why is she doing this again? There was like a lot that I think that was missing on her end. And I'm sure he had, because it was an animated film and I, I'm assuming it also to do with, with backing. He had to, edited it down a lot from what his original idea was because well it wasn't his idea it's based on a children's book oh. same thing the fantastic mr fox is based on a rolled doll book oh really okay see yeah see i just i'm just not versed in the wes anderson filmography uh but now that you've told me that most of his stuff <laughs> is depressing that makes me uh maybe i don't want to explore this more well not depressing like i mean i said isle of dogs was his most depressing i mean he usually has some sort of you know emotional hook to them i guess like the all i'll say is you should watch some other movies of his i'll recommend like darjeeling limited i think you'd love the fantastic mr fox it feels like a kid's movie it's about uh like a heist essentially except they're stealing from a mean farmer (laughs) well you know me i have a very deep appreciation for children's cinema um i do think it's a whole medium that's not fully appreciated for what it is um but going back to moonrise kingdom you know talk about his personal a lot some of the events in here were actually drawn directly from his um childhood like he like specifically the scouting they says you know that was from there but then the play that i think it's called noye's flood uh the noah's ark play he was actually in that as a kid um, and I think I read that when they were doing production design of it, they referenced photos of the, of the production that he was in, um, to kind of recreate it. And I thought, and I thought that was, he was, it's like I said, when, it, when, it, when it wasn't just like the whole idea of how he found that book with, um, that his dad had about how to deal with having a troubled child. Um, but he pulled a lot of his own childhood in here. And, um, from what I understand, even though it was written by him and Roman Coppola, it's mostly his you know, child. The big thing people rap talk about as far as Roman Coppola contributing. I mean, he did more to the to the story and everything, but at least from personal backstory, is uh, Frances McDormand walking around with her bullhorn to talk to her kids. I guess that's something that Eleanor <laughs> Coppola did when he when Roman was a kid. Uh, 
<laughs> which that's pretty funny. Also, the, that actually the, explains the a lot of thing, that family too. <laughs> well, the Noah's Ark thing is actually pretty thematically interesting yeah. because you're dealing with a flood in the film, so it's almost kind of you know relevant in that sense that there's sort of a a theme of you know a coming a coming tide they should say but um well, again I, I i wish i had done at least enough research to see who the film was dedicated to because it was a family member i'm certain well so and at maybe the that's end, why he was at the end of the movie the, i believe it says on the screen it says like for juna or for juma or something like that which uh, it actually makes sense. That was I at least at the time. I don't know if it still is. That was his girlfriend. Okay. Well, in the end credits, like I said, like if you if you finished them, he he dedicated it to Juma. Well, actually, I don't I don't know. Maybe it was his wife. It was Juma Anderson. Whoever it was, whoever the first name was, the last name was Anderson. So to me, I I took that as oh, it's a family member. But I don't think it was his girlfriend because in the end credits it's it states that whoever Juma is was a scoutmaster. So I think it was either his father or his grandfather. So I just I'm, I'm double checking. Actually, I pulled up on the computer and it says um, uh, the New Yorker's reporting that the movie is dedicated to Anderson's girlfriend Jumin Malouf, who is okay. from she's from Lebanon, which is why they go to Fort Lebanon. Okay. So and it actually now I'm curious. Now I'm curious who the, who the person it talks about being a scoutmaster is, because um, that again different different than like what you're talking about. I swear. I ugh, now I wish I had well, done. I'd also research, read <laughs> that he wanted Ed Norton to be the scoutmaster because he said Ed Norton just looks like a scoutmaster. He really does. It's funny. He uh, he's known for a lot of like very tough guy roles, like you know Fight Club and American History X. But mm-hmm. just by himself, he's a pretty normal looking guy <laughs> so <laughs> well one of my favorite characters in this film was uh was cousin ben played by jason schwartzman i oh, d- yes. he was he was just i loved how seriously and one of the things i really appreciate well first off he was hilarious because he took everything seriously these kids were saying he was like i'll put you on a boat you know and, you know and i'll ex- and i'll kind of explain some people be like but they're kids how's i kind of explain all that later but I, I love that. I love how seriously he took the kids because, you know, as a kid, when you say something or that you want something, people don't really take you seriously. And, you know, since this since this is a story essentially from the perspective of the kids and what and what their dreams and desires are, uh, that makes sense to me. But I also loved <laughs> I love I love the two of my two favorite scenes are when when, when he's like, no, the seventy six dollars is my fee. I'm keeping that. <laughs> and then he finally oh, yeah. he's guilted in by everybody giving them his his money and then when in the second one when he comes back because she forgot her binoculars <laughs> but he was great in that whole thing he i think he was like my favorite character in there the whole the whole wedding scene was was awesome but the one of the things i was talking about, i kind of danced around it just a little bit right now um when i was talking about uh for the perspective of the kids so wes anderson if i can and i still yes i still have it up on my phone he says so. He his inspiration of this. Um, he he when he say he says he talked about being in love as like a, you know like as a I think he says a fifth grader. 
and he says he says i remember this feeling from when i was that age and from when i was in fifth grade but nothing really happened i just experienced the period of dreaming about what might happen when i was at that age i feel like the movie could really be something that was envisioned by one of these characters and when he said that that made absolute sense and you know me whiskey i am a romantic uh, i had many a crush as a kid but i don't know exactly what he's talking about you kind of picture yourself going on an adventure with your crush. You know, you 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 get the whole, you, you're like, oh, we'll do this. And then there's probably going to be some danger that we have to overcome. And you, you kind of, and at least, I, and maybe I'm weird. I'm the, maybe me and Wes are the only people who did this. But that that's kind of like what I, I remember that. I remember having these whole visions of what could happen, you know. If, you know, you and your crush were able to get together and the adventures you would have and you would escape from. And I think this he really I think he was also a kid that didn't fit in either. Like and I've talked about that with me before. I didn't fit in a lot. And so you would all I would, I, like I would always fantasize about running off with my crush and, you know, having an adventure. And that's one of the reasons why I think I really emotionally resonate with the movie and I love this movie is because when I heard that um, I'm like that is exactly what is captured here that's exactly what I'm feeling and I love that and I don't, I don't know if, did you have that sort of thing with your with your with your adolescent love at all or was that kind of just a me and West thing apparently no actually I think it's uh, one of the strongest things with this movie because I think it's the most um like relatable aspect to this movie is remembering what it was like when you were a kid and whether you had like, you know, uh, whether, whether you had crushes or you actually had any success romantically as a kid, the emotional, uh, intensity is still the same. Like if you had like a girlfriend in elementary school or a boyfriend, it it was like you're you're in love you're gonna end up marrying this person yes. and if you were just crushing on someone you still had that intense feeling so i feel like again this movie might not be recognized as much as his other movies but i i'm not that we're i am not the only one who thinks this is the best wes anderson movie and i feel like the people who like this a lot it's the love story that really resonates with people and that's what the scouts are one thing, but the, again, the the two of them, it's so cute. And even though it's totally ridiculous, you kind of almost root for them, especially yeah. when you see both of their home lives are so bad. Like when he, when he, when Jason Schwartzman is saying, "Oh, I can get you a job as like a crab fisherman or whatever," oh, you're kind of like, "Yeah, that's that's, that's better than his current life." I mean, hey, he can well, make money. He'll be able to pay for a house because it's the '60s and houses aren't that stupid expensive yet. <laughs> like, well, it's, and, it's ridiculous, but you kind of get in that mindset of where you're uh, rooting for them to get to run away together as stupid and as immature as it is, you're almost well, kind of at that same level and, and with the, them. And that's kind of what I was saying when I was talking about the cousin Ben character, this dude's clearly an adult, but he's, he, he, but the, since like, like, was it this, this is like a future you could easily see being imagined by one of these characters in their imagination. That's how it would work. You'd be able to talk your way through this. People would trust you. You know, they would let you get married and get you a job somewhere. And that's one of the things I love about this is, it's, well, it, it actually wasn't that far-fetched for the 1960s, the idea. Like, I mean, they were pretty young. They were, like, 12. But, I mean, these days, the whole idea of that happening is completely absurd. But, like, back in those days, you know, depending on where you lived, child labor laws weren't really a thing. So it kind of probably could have 
theoretically happened. Obviously, it didn't. But um, and the other thing, Jason Schwartzman, since you bring him up, he actually uh kind of owes a lot to Wes Anderson. His first film ever, his first acting job was Rushmore. Like the first director he ever worked with was Wes Anderson. Wow. He had never been in anything else. He was not a like professional actor, but he landed the role. Um, and that's like a whole story on its own. He actually went and method acted through the audition process. Like he, he went out and bought a school uniform to wear to the audition because it takes place in a private school and he got the job. And based on that movie, he ended up becoming, you know, a big actor. So well, and he not only is in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, but the two of them are really good friends and he owes his career, Wes Anderson, a sort of because, you know, that that film, he could have gone with like a more well-known actor, but he went with Jason Schwartzman and that catapulted his career. And he, again, he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies uh, because they have such a good relationship. Well, you know, what's so. interesting is I was reading uh, what Jason Schwartz said about working on the film, and he says, you know, when he was offered the part of Cousin Ben, he he could have, but he didn't ask for a larger role. And he, his reasoning was is that he says, you know, the way that Wes Anderson does thing, everything is a fine puzzle, and he already has it worked out to how, what the best way to tell the story is. So he says the reason why he did, he was totally fine taking a smaller role in this was specifically because he's worked with, with Wes Anderson before and he knows how he works and he has a respect for how he works. So I thought that was kind of cool to kind of hear that coming from an actor who worked on this. Uh, he also did, I guess Jason Schwartzman also did a, a, a short film uh, called Cousin Ben Troop Screening with Jason Schwartzman. It was also directed by Wes Anderson, and that was released on the platform Funny or Die to promote the film. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I wish... I'd, Funny or Die, I don't know if you know this, it's actually not online anymore. Uh, like, I think the company went bankrupt. It's like a whole thing. It happened a year or two ago, but I wish... it. Maybe... Well, I'd, they might have uh, their YouTube channel still up, so I'm going to see if I can find that, but... Uh, yeah, and that's another thing about Jason Schwartzman. He's like a filmmaker in his own right. He's a cool guy. Uh, as far as like actors working today, he's he's really a, he's he's someone that you're happy got famous. <laughs> he's he's genuinely talented. He's really good in every movie he's in, even if it's you know like another film he's in that probably a lot of listeners probably saw was Scott Pilgrim versus the World. He's like the bad guy in that movie mm -hmm. and he's excellent. He's like a perfect mustache twirling villain. <laughs> um well, but he's he's really good. And again, it's it, I'm not surprised that he worked with Wes Anderson because they work together a lot and again, like he owes his career kind of to Wes Anderson because he took a chance on him in Rushmore. You know, he nailed he nailed the audition, but <laughs> And so I didn't think you probably knew about that, but I thought you'd I find did. it interesting since the, his character really spoke to you. Yeah, actually, his character was just awesome. I'm just like, I'm like, I want to be at a camp where this guy's the counselor because he this looks like camp with him would be lit. <laughs> um, but uh, one other thing, speaking about the casting process, so Jared Gilman and Kara, and I want to make sure I'm reading my hand right, Kara Hayward uh, were both newcomers to... Uh, to, to 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 acting none of them had even like really auditioned for anything before it said that uh west did um uh he auditioned at schools in the area for like eight months to find the right one to find the right group and actually one of the one of the he was impressed with one of the people who auditioned for the role of sam 
but he didn't think he was right for the part, so he gave him the role of I think the character's name was Redford. Uh, Is he the one that really hates Sam? I I'm trying to remember because I don't remember who Red. I think if I saw his face, I would remember. Well, that character he had red hair, so that actually might make sense. Maybe, maybe he was. I think he was the one that that rode up. I think like, uh, yeah, he was the one that was. Riding that's what the I mean. Bike. Like, yeah. and that's genius casting too, because he can kind of focus all that hatred from not getting the part <laughs> into hating the character. Like, so I don't know. That's that's who I would cast him as if he did a really good job, because it's like, well. You know, he got your part, so it's only natural that you'd be his arch nemesis. But I just, I just, I love the fact that he was just like, you're great, just not for this part. But since we have a whole troop, we can put you somewhere else. The cast was really good. Uh, it, this is another, um, you know, we've talked about Bruce Willis and Die Hard, but this is another film that uh, just shows. Sadly, nowadays, he just does a lot of like straight to video movies and you can kind of tell he does not care anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it's sad because when you give him the any material really he can do a great job he's known for his action movies but you were familiar with him before in comedy and stuff and this was a really yeah. good comedic role because he's playing a police officer but he's kind of more of a schlubby like sad as as they call him in the movie a sad, sad. police officer yeah. i love how francis is like, like he, yeah he is kind of he's not dumb but yeah he is kind of sad <laughs> well and i mean he kind of he lives in a trailer and like although that that was one of the best things about the ending i love that he adopts sam that was such a great no, i i kind of saw little... that coming when they were sort of talking about what do you have to be to be a guardian uh, <laughs> yeah uh, well, wasn't that right before he like that's when Wasn't they that first. Right that's, adopted him? that's when they first talked to social services. Like they're okay. like, "Oh, you're, he'll be here. We'll take care of him." I was like, "Somebody's end up adopting." I'm like, hey, "It obviously can't be the bishops." I actually at first thought it was going to be the scoutmaster because he kind of had sort of a reckoning, you know. Uh, Dude, that's movie. another. I mean, I love Edward Norton in a lot of things. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite roles of his, just because he's very natural. I gr I agree with Wes Anderson. He was kind of born to play a scoutmaster, and it was really nice seeing him step up to the plate at the end when the the camp is flooding and he saves the super scoutmaster who just got done chewing him out. Yeah, that I, I, he, he yeah I I thought he was great. I loved his character. I love. I was worried, and I and I've seen you know movies like this that are kind of whimsical like this before, and they usually feel the need to add some sort of seedy dark undercurrents. I kept waiting for that to show up, and I was glad no. it didn't. Uh, no, again, I'm like this. This episode is whiskey tells sweet tea to watch more Wes Anderson movies, basically. And that's again like this. If you like this movie, you will like all of his other movies. Like maybe not Isle of Dogs, um, but uh, he all of his movies have kind of a quirkiness in the whimsicalness to them yeah you know i'd like darjeeling limited's about three brothers traveling india on a train mm -hmm. you've got uh royal tenenbaums is about a kind of terrible father faking having stomach cancer so he can try and reunite his family oh, you've got life aquatic where it's about an, like a, a sea biologist trying to uh get revenge on a shark for eating his best friend <laughs> well one of the things that I just really just enjoyed about this movie is, is this is like, it's a movie that's considered, you know, and I don't want to throw this because 
I kind of have my own sort of hangups on this term, but I love the fact that it's a movie that's happy. It's a positive movie, but it's also considered higher art. And I, and I feel like that's something, and I know I, sound, I know I sound like I'm about 90 years old when I say this, but I wish that was kind of a more common occurrence is yeah that, they, that, that there, that there could be things that people take seriously that are happy and positive and we don't have to have, you know, everything has to be seedy and, 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 and dark and, or, or just everybody just sucks. And I, I really like. There's not a character in this except for the foster parents. I didn't. I didn't dislike a single character in this movie. I, I, I loved everybody in here. Uh, I was kind of. I, I, I don't know why, but I was kind of shocked to see Bill Murray come down the stairs without a shirt on. I don't know why that freaked me out, but it did. <laughs> the but, um, I agree with you, and I do think a lot of like male filmmakers seem to want to be like really edgy. Mm-hmm. Like that's their whole stylistic sort of thing. Um, and I do think it's important like to distinguish yourself from the crowd. And you do have a lot of filmmakers that do that. You know, you've got people like Tim Burton, who's got kind of a Gothic style to his, you've got, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino really likes like seventies, like garbage movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's elevated into being like, higher art or whatever you've got spielberg who really grew up on like hitchcock and wanted to make kind of hitchcock movies into like more fun sort of summer blockbuster sort of things um well he invented the blockbuster sort of i mean it existed before him but he was the one i'm sorry made it a thing the summer blockbuster he invented the summer blockbuster exactly the summer summers used to be a time when you know they didn't really care out. about what they put out in theaters because they thought oh they won't make any money um but yeah like i mean that's the thing like i feel like it should be sort of effortless to come up with your own style if you're a filmmaker because it should just be kind of how you naturally tell a story and wes anderson again if you look at his like list of favorite movies it makes sense what he is ripping off for lack of a better word for it but it's it's things that he likes. He's just telling a story that he likes and that's really all it should be. But I feel like everyone is everyone who's trying to be a filmmaker tries too hard to distinguish themselves or they copy someone a little too much to the point where they're not really being truthful as far as like the sort of of who they are voice as a they have as a storyteller. Yeah. And I think that's something about Wes Anderson that's really awesome. And, you know, I think the thing that makes a lot of like art house directors kind of insufferable is they get an ego about themselves. Yeah. And it, I don't know if you watched any interviews with Wes Anderson, but he's not pretentious. He looks exactly the way you would imagine him to. He's always wearing like a really like vintage suit and stuff, <laughs> but he doesn't have like, he's not a dick, you know, he's not like, Oh, I, I'm just elevated, you know, like he doesn't have like this air about him. He's just like, I like these old seventies movies and I like that kind of feeling in them. And this is, you know, how I like to tell a story, you know, he's, you know he's I not picture, like, I, I haven't, I haven't seen him. Uh, I specifically didn't look at him cause I kind of didn't want um, any, like the way he looked until afterwards. And I just never got around to looking him up, but I, you, you didn't, did you ever watch sex in the city or not? Oh yeah. Uh, do you remember the character of Stanford Blatch? Ugh, he was like the gay. I, he was the gay character on the show. 
<laughs> he was like this. Hmm. He he was like a shorter kind of bald man, a little bit older. He had these like round glasses, and he always was he in the movie. Yeah, he was in one of the movies. Yeah. Okay, I know who he was. And he always wore like some sort of like uh, like like color blocked but like vintage looking suits, and that's for some reason that's who I was picturing. <laughs> I'm like, you who cannot would see me, but I'm nodding. But like, so Wes Anderson looks like a character from one of his own movies. You know, kind of a lanky white dude, but he wears those types of like vintage suits. Again, like I, I hoped you had like looked up an interview with him on video so you could kind of put a face to the movie or whatever. But he's again like the the thing I feel like most people find insufferable about quote unquote art house cinema is a lot of these indie filmmakers have kind of an air about them where they seem to think that they're somehow superior to like mm-hmm. other filmmakers because what they are doing is honest and truthful. He's not like that. He's yeah. just like, Hey, I like these movies. He's like, I'm just, I'm doing what I want to do and this is how I do it. You yeah. Know? Um, and I feel like that's the best way to be, um, you know, and the best filmmakers, in my opinion, they're just doing things the way they know how to do well it <laughs> just cir- circling back in to the movie specifically and i don't and I, and I know i think i've talked about this but this i've always had a fascination with uh inclement weather and tragic events. Oh God, yes! <laughs> like, how did I not think that it was gonna cycle back into the disaster movie? <laughs> <laughs> so, but but there's just something about, and I think this comes from the area where I grew up, and it has. And I've been like, "Hey, whiskey, guess what? We have another tornado warning." <laughs> it was just something about the energy in an, in, in in a situation like that, you know everybody kind of shifts slightly to survival mode while still pretending like everything's okay. But then you also kind of all get stuck together exactly the way you are, regardless of whatever was going on before it. And for lack of a better word, there's just something incredibly magical about that. And I loved, and and Wes Anderson and his portrayal of the storm at the end of the movie, he captured that perfectly. (laughs) We have, everybody's just kind of stuck together now. They all have to kind of face each other and deal with everything. In this, um, in this, in the same church where they first met. In the same church where they, oh yeah, the church where they first met. Actually, I think I took me a minute to realize that, but I think I did realize that at one point. But there was that, and then we had, you know, the social services people who nobody liked. <laughs> and then we had, you know, the parents who are just now realizing they need to do better as parents. And with the lover there also. And, which actually, I'm not actually sure if she they, like, had an affair or if it was, like, emotional cheating. It was never actually said. Um, I think it was more, I kind of get the impression it was more emotional cheating. Um, but we have it all together. We have it all going on. We have all the scouts in there. We have the, everybody, and just the energy that's created by all those people being together is just incredible. And then, like I said, you talk about going into survival mode. We still had the kids over there climbing on the roof (laughs) to get away from these people. And everything, I, I, and they were gonna jump. And they, they were gonna jump off the roof into the water. I love her. I love her response. Do you think it's deep enough to swim? She's like, even if it's not, we'll break our necks immediately if it's too shallow. I'm just like their realization as to what's going on is amazing. 
and it's really sweet i mean even up until the end sam's like hey even if we don't survive this it was really nice meeting you Susie." right that was just so So sweet sweet. that was so sweet and then i i found it hilarious that the that the pair that the parents who were like you cannot see sam ever again were like (laughs) acting as a proxy with social services there for for uh bruce willis's character and she's like you're not married we can't consider you and they're like we find that discriminatory that you wouldn't even seriously consider i loved all of that that whole conversation was great and i loved kind of the cliffhanger uh that momentary cliffhanger where uh that we kind of get like sort of foreshadowing about earlier in the movie that the lightning strikes the church and the top goes missing and we're like where and they're just hanging on just something about that is just so incredibly magical and it reminded me of um it's actually an alfonso caron movie the ending of a little princess it's kind of sort of a similar oh yes and but again that's like a fairy tale or it's actually it's 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 more like a magical realism story as well, which is what this one also kind of is. And it's also a remake of a Shirley Temple movie, right? But I, I actually I grew up loving that. I never saw the original one, but when people talk about most people are like, oh, my first Alfonso Cron movie I liked was the third Harry Potter movie or something. I'm like, my first one was A Little Princess. <laughs> I grew up with A Little Princess, and then my mind was blown when I saw the. Uh the Shirley Temple one, because I was like, it was a remake? It was a remake? <laughs> I was like, I what? Was really uh, but th- it reminded me of that. So there's just there was just so much about this movie that I just loved. And what, and, I, and, I've, and I've told you about this before with other movies that I've watched. Um, I was waiting kind of for the other shoe to drop the whole movie, and it never did, and I was so happy about that. Because like I kept telling you, I was waiting for some seedy undercurrent to come out, like that, you know... The Scoutmaster was like movies. was like low key a pedophile or or something like that because it seems like doesn't it se- doesn't happen in Wes Anderson movies. You're thinking of literally like that. Even if like when I say something is depressing, like I mean again Isle of Dogs, like you saw it. There was no there's none of that. There's no uh, no disturbing weird undercurrents and creepy. Like he doesn't do that. It's not his style. And I was I was just happy someone told a story. They told it well. They, it was it was happy it was positive it made took me back to my childhood and and what love in elementary school was like um but in and i i, I made a note of this but this is a movie i know that i will not fully understand um for a few viewings and i need to watch it i i think i'm gonna have to watch it a lot more to get everything that's in there because i think there's a lot that i'm that i've missed um, but you know, it's one thing I kind of look forward to going back and kind of having the movie be sort of a treasure hunt where I discover more about, you know, why they did certain things. I know there's probably something, an actual reason why they have that whole discussion. And maybe you can explain it to me, uh, about the beginning where they're talking about the different parts of the orchestra and they all kind of play the same theme, but it all sounds different. And then when it comes together, it's what we all recognize. Um, I know that the way I interpreted that was kind of the way that everything came together in the end. You have all of these different groups all con- coming to the church for this big climax. That's the way I interpreted it. But again, that's kind of the beautiful thing about true art is it's up to your interpretation. Or- so I don't think 
I don't think there is a the reason for that. I think that that is kind of up to what you make of it. Now and that speaking you... of that, actually, I did not know that the composer was the same one as The Shape of Water. It, the right? music was one of my favorite things in this movie. The so music... that's actually really cool. This is one of the ones I'm hoping they put out on vinyl because, you know me, I get some vinyl on there. I put it on. I do some dishes. I pretend I'm a 40s housewife. <laughs> it's a Wes Anderson movie, sweet tea. It's got to be on vinyl. <laughs> You kidding me? His vintage ass couldn't resist doing that. Well, actually, just what you just said about the, it all comes to a climax, that kind of makes you think, because they talk about how it's all essentially the same sound, though that that, narr- that narrator in that classic that classic score recording, he talks about how it's they're all essentially the same thing, but they all sound different. They're all called variations on a theme, I think is what he says in there. And if you think about it, he's kind of right, because all the characters, they're all going through essentially love stories. Um, even the Scoutmaster, you know, he starts off having a picture of his boss at his desk and he ends it with having a picture of the telephone operator at his desk. You know, everybody is going through their own love story in this movie. And so maybe that's what, but, but they all, when they're separate, they all look different. But when you bring them together, they're all the same. I don't know. That is very insightful. I actually think that's a really good way of looking at it. Well, I couldn't have done um, it without you, sweet tea. You, I mean, whiskey. <laughs> you, <laughs> you. Are you sure all you're having is Diet Coke? <laughs> uh, maybe I put something else in there, but that's for me to know. <laughs> but this one, and and so even though uh, this was one that I did recommend, I never. I mean, I that I selected. I'd never seen this movie. This is kind of like one of those movies that I was like, let me challenge myself, put myself out there with new directors and stuff. I'm really happy I picked this one, and. I, 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 it, it was just this, this was a very happy and moving piece of cinema, um, that I cannot wait to watch again. Like, uh, you know me, I collect the Criterion collection when they go on sale, uh, next sale, I will be picking up a copy of this. Uh, I'm glad it's in the Criterion collection. It, uh, yeah, it's, obviously it's, it's a recommend for me. It's a huge uh, I recommend say, I started for me. off the review saying it's my favorite, so <laughs> you've got really? that. I thought that was code for I hated it. <laughs> no, no. This is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Oh. I'd say it's I like so it's this, Life Aquatic, and Darjeeling Limited are my top three. I did want to talk about this very briefly before we go. Uh so you know, big the big theme of this is is, is love and it's specifically adolescent love and how it's like for people. So I found out doing research, this was actually Jared Gilman's first kiss. He'd never kissed anyone before at age 11. Um, and he said like Wes Anderson was very sensitive to that. So when they did the scene where they has his first kiss, that was the last thing that was filmed. So the actors would be comfortable with each other. But he also had, he also did it as a closed set. It was just him, her, I think the camera operator and Wes. And that was it because he was very sensitive. That's so sweet. Right? That's so adorable. Fun facts, by the way, uh, the two of them have starred in other movies together in the future. One that I'm actually eyeing for next season. Oh, really? Um, and they play boyfriend and girlfriend in that movie. So it makes me kind of wonder, maybe it's the maybe on the set. Maybe. Yeah, again, it's. Because I think I know in the movie that we might review next year, they are playing boyfriend and girlfriend, but I think they've also done it in other movies. <laughs> so again, it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that actually ended up being like, maybe they're dating. I don't know. Well, um, they're, they're like, both of them are like 20 now. Yeah. They're, 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 they're like, wild. they're a little bit younger than we are now. Um, uh, I think I read that uh, Jared Gilman, he, he's currently at NYU going to Tish. Um, which hats off. To I know. 
I know, I forget her name. The girl who played Susie was in The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Kara Hayward like, is her she name. Was, she was in the scripted section. She played, like, the teenage daughter. Let me see. I'm going to try to see if there's any... I'm looking at her filmography really quick to see if there's anything that I recognize. Um, she was in Isle of the Dogs. Oh, she was in... Oh, yeah, that's right. I think she was the uh, the curly-haired girl. She was She was also in Manchester by the Sea. That's, like, another big film. I never saw that one. But that's I right. Like I forgot about that. That's Yeah, I remember her in that. Um, and, like, any true starting-off actress, she did... She was in an episode of Law & Order SVU. <laughs> um, Yikes. Well, I mean, but, I mean, it's kind of like a joke. I'm Every, not talking about the show. I'm talking about what, what, what might have happened to her in the show. Right. <laughs> Uh, she was also in. I I never watched. I had a friend who watched it. She was she she had she was in five episodes of that Netflix show uh, with Miranda Sings called Haters Back Off. Um, that's the only things that are really jumping out to me that I've seen. There's some other stuff on here, um, but yeah, I'm excited to see this. The, it, it's not, I'm sure it's not related, but I, I'm like now since since their boyfriend and girlfriend in this one, I want to be like I, I'm going to be like it's a spiritual successor to the film. <laughs> I, I I secretly hope they're dating outside of this. But what do you guys think? If you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment for which Wes Anderson movie T should watch next. Right? Let me know. Just not the Grand Pluto Best Hotel because I've already seen it. <laughs> so, or Isle of Dogs. Or, so don't forget, to, or Isle of Dogs. I saw that one too. Uh, so don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Definitely a huge recommend from me. Uh, and unless I misheard him, oh, I think this is a, this is a recommend from whiskey as well. Um, and no, we just kidding. It's a yes. We, it's now time. <laughs> it's now time for us to pour some sand on the campfire and send our last letters home because this is the end of summer camp month. Next month we'll be having a whole new thing. Back to school. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, basically I had a whole unit on this in school next month. We're going to, we're going to be getting into some films that uh that drew inspiration from some greek tragedies so uh be be excited for that <laughs> but other or than don't that be depressed don't be depressed <laughs> but other than that uh we we appreciate you guys uh keep listening to us let us know if you want something different like something different leave suggestions so that we're not always just recommending everything <laughs> and we will catch you all in the next one stay thirsty everybody Reels on the Rocks is a production of La Prince Laboratories. It is edited and produced by Alejandro Castillo and features original artwork by Ace Esparza and original music by Pat Mars. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks and tweet at us with any movies or topics you'd like us to discuss in the future.